This episode has been brought to you in part by the Toronto Heschel School. You are invited to attend their open house on November 10th to discover what makes Heschel special. Visit torontoheschel.org for more details. That's Toronto, H-E-S-C-H-E-L dot org. And it's my pleasure to, to present the award uh, for children and youth to Seagal Samuel for Osnet and her dub. That's what it sounded like on Sunday at the online award ceremony when the Canadian Jewish Literary Awards were handed out. As we told you Monday, Montrealer Seagal Samuel won the award for her new children's book. It's called Osnat and Her Dove, and it's about the world's first female rabbi, the real-life Osnat Barzani. She was a Kurdish Jewish scholar. She lived about 400 years ago in Mosul, and she had an unconventional upbringing. Her father ran a yeshiva in what is now northern Iraq, but he didn't have sons. So instead of forcing his daughter to do chores and get married off right away, he taught her Torah and Talmud and Midrash and Hebrew and the Kabbalah. And Osnat would become the head of her father's yeshiva and widely revered as a rabbi. The author, Sigal Samuel, had an Orthodox Jewish upbringing in Montreal herself. Her own father also taught her Jewish studies the way Osnats did. But becoming a rabbi was not in the cards. Samuel is now a respected author and journalist for Vox based in Washington, D.C. And her award-winning book's beautiful artwork and inspiring story is winning praise not just in literary circles, but also from the first-ever Canadian Orthodox woman rabbi, Rabbi Lila Kajadin. It's the story is so beautiful. You told it so beautifully, like hearing, knowing the story from other parts of my life. You said it so beautifully. The illustrations are magical. I know. Like ethereal and otherworldly, actually dreamlike. And I, it's so, it's just so gorgeous. And um, I bought 15 copies. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, October 18th, 2021. Welcome to the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. There are at least 24 women who either currently serve or have served as rabbis in Canada since the first one, Joan Friedman, was hired back in 1980 to be assistant rabbi at Holy Blossom Synagogue in Toronto. She was an American, and it was for a Reform congregation. And while Reform and conservative Jewish congregations in Canada began hiring women for the pulpit, it's taken longer for the Orthodox branch of Judaism to do this. In 2015, Lila Kashdin of Ottawa graduated from the Maharat Yeshiva in New York, and she became the first Orthodox woman to claim the title of rabbi. Others call themselves Rabbanit or Rabba or Maharat, and they still do. Coming up, we'll meet both Sigal Samuel, the author, and Rabbi Kashdin, the first real-life Canadian woman Orthodox rabbi and the first to be hired by an Orthodox synagogue in the U.S. And it wasn't without a struggle. But first, here's what's making news elsewhere in Canada right now. I'm Jack Kravetsky at Savers Gourmet Market, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like. Merger talks are continuing between two large and long-established conservative egalitarian congregations 
in Toronto. Beth Tikva Synagogue and Beth David have sent out a note to their nearly 2,000 members that they'll be hiring an independent consultant to oversee the next step of merger negotiations. According to the email obtained by the CJN, the Beth Tikva site will most likely be closed, meaning the new entity will operate out of Beth David's current site on Yeomans. <laughs> When Lila Kajdan became the first woman to be hired as a rabbi by an Orthodox synagogue in New Jersey in 2016, she told the CJN and CNN that she'd faced a lot of pushback in the Orthodox world, even misogyny. So who better to talk to the author of this new book about the world's real first woman rabbi? Well, here are Rabbi Kajdan and Sigal Samuel, the author, and they join me now. So I guess I should say, first of all, Sigal, congratulations on the win of the Canadian Jewish Literary Award for your new book about Osnan and her dove, Mazel Tov. Thank you Mazel so tov. much. Um, so Sigal, uh, when you decided to delve into this uh, topic, was it something because of uh, you know your childhood stories that people told you that you had already heard about, or was this something brand new? So bizarrely, I had never heard this story uh, until just a few years ago. Um, I, I grew up in a Baghdadi Jewish family in Montreal. So, uh, you know, my, my family is originally from, from Baghdad and from Bombay. And not only that, but the truth is when I was a little girl, I actually had a secret dream of becoming a rabbi, but because I was growing up a Orthodox and B Mizrahi, um, I didn't see any models, um, for what that could look like in my, you know, corner of the Jewish world. Um, and so it was very, like, it was an amazing surprise to me when I found out by accident in the course of uh, some late night research for a stage play one night that actually the world's first female rabbi was from, you know, just a few hours from my family's hometown. Now we need to bring in you, Rabbi uh, Kajdan, because of course, if it wasn't for Sarah, you probably wouldn't be where you are today. Um so how aware of uh, her were you when you were going, you know, in high school and deciding what you wanted to do with your life? So I grew up in Montreal in Ottawa, and I was asked as a very young girl by my Bobby um, in Montreal what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said I wanted to be a rabbi. And it was clear to me in my Orthodox home and community that that really wasn't going to be possible for me. The truth of the matter is, uh, I had wonderful role models who are women, wonderful teachers and people in the broader community who I looked up to. But um, as Sigal mentioned, there wasn't anybody uh, that was inhabiting that role specifically of an Orthodox woman in clergy in that way. So in many ways, I didn't think it was ever going to be possible for me, though it did uh, always come up when somebody asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up or I remember I took a vocational test once and it said I should be clergy. Um, when I was younger, really the, the pathway or the closest I could get was to study. And I was very fortunate that I was able to study with my late father, Ian Cashden, who uh, really took my learning very seriously. And he studied with me uh, everything that I wanted to study, the Mishnah, the Talmud, um, Tanakh, certainly, which was really his passion. But uh, I kind of insisted that he study uh, some of the rabbinic pieces that I was very interested in and halakha, Jewish law and living. And, uh, and at the same time, I still didn't think it was going to be possible for me to go to rabbinical school. There wasn't an Orthodox rabbinical school for me to go to. Um, when I first heard about Yeshivat Maharat, I was very interested. 
And ultimately, I was really grateful to uh, attend the yeshiva, to uh, receive formal smicha, rabbinic ordination from Yeshiva Maharat, uh, and join the ranks really of so many women um, and uh, really very much following in their footsteps. So uh, there were so many people who I think really paved the way for me. And Osnat is certainly uh, the first. Sigal, before we started recording formally, uh, you said you are Osnat when you guys were chatting. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, you know, modern, a modern day Osnat. Um, and my dad also, um, he is a former professor of Jewish mysticism. And so, you know, when I was growing up, uh, I went to like a Hebrew day school, uh, but that was just the first half of my curriculum. Then I would come home in the afternoon and we, my dad and I would sit and study Talmud and Zohar and all the things I had an appetite to study, but wasn't getting in my school. In her world, in, you know, 500 years ago, was it important to her to be called rabbi, do you think, or would it have been? Yes and no. I think that the focus on formal smicha, formal ordination, and the bestowing of the title of rabbi means something different in the Ashkenazi world than it would have meant historically in her Mizrahi context. Um, in, in communities like the the kind that my family comes from, you know, you'd be more uh, inclined if you really wanted to venerate someone and, and give them a title of real veneration, you'd probably be more inclined to talk of them as a chacham. Um, you know, there, there are other words aside from uh, rabbi that actually held a higher esteem, like chacham, mekubal. And rabbi, uh, how important is it? What I mean, it was very important to you to claim that title. Um, uh, what what lesson did you get from from the book Oznat about the title itself? Does it matter? Well, I have to say, um, in deliberating around um, taking the title, as it were, or claiming the title or stepping into that title, uh, it was a real deliberation. And I knew that it would be met with pushback. And it, and it was, it really was, it still is. Um, although uh, there are some women actually at Yeshiva Maharat who have taken the title um, since I did. But it was a painful time and it was a difficult time. And I wouldn't wish that type of pain or feelings of isolation really on anyone. At the same time, when I decided to uh, take the title rabbi, I really did so because it became clear to me that I wanted to have uh, an honorific or a title that would be the best descriptor of the training that I had, such that if I walked into a room to do a funeral or to do a wedding, or if I was visiting the sick, whatever the case may be, deliberating over halachic matters or uh, decisions around Jewish law and living, I wanted it to be very clear what my credentials were. And when you say rabbi, those are your credentials. So I do think titles are important. At the same time, do I always use my title? No, I don't always use my title. I don't know that that's what it's about. But I have to say, in those lonely moments of being the only one uh, at that time in the Orthodox world to use the title rabbi, uh, it became a comfort to me to see that Others have done so before, way before. Osnat did this way before, uh, uh, before I did. And she survived it. And not only did she survive, but she thrived. And so that was very comforting to me and also reassuring. Felt like I had somebody like Osnat right alongside me. And, uh, and seeing that actually on the page, there's something so powerful about that. And to say, yes, okay. And um, it's very moving. <laughs> 
Rabbi Kajdan is no longer serving as a pulpit rabbi. She teaches bioethics at the New York Medical College. And she's a freelance rabbi, and she's also studying for a higher level of ordination. It's called Yadin Yadin. She wants to try to serve on Orthodox rabbinical courts. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. This episode has also been brought to you in part by the Toronto Heschel School. Attend their open house on November 10th. Visit torontoheschel.org for more details. Today's listener shout-out goes to Lawrence Wall in Ottawa. He's a veteran CBC Radio news presenter and a fan of the show. And we'll end the episode with a little clip from one of the films that's being shown this week by the 8th Annual St. John New Brunswick Jewish Film Festival. This one is called Ben-Gurion Epilogue. It's a documentary It uses a lost six-hour interview with Israel's founding prime minister. It was recorded in 1968 at Ben-Gurion's desert residence, Stay Boker, when he was 82. But the interview was only discovered in an archive in Jerusalem many years later. Those who accused the Jews that didn't defend themselves, I think it's wrong. They were powerless. Well, a million children were killed. What could the children do? More than a million mothers were killed. What could they do? They were undressed, called to stay here, and then they were killed.